0: because they need to stand on some promises as they deal with that energy level. My goodness. So instead of doing Acts chapter 4, as we've been going through Acts and jumping into Peter's imprisonment, we're going to take a break because we have Advent season coming up. And so I wanted to preach or bring you a message on Psalm 119. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, it is the longest, so it's harder to miss. And the title of this message is Keeping Your Way Pure During Turmoil. And we are in a country that has a lot of turmoil lately. How many of you have been watching the news or paying attention to the news this week? Just show of hands, just a little... So, pretty much everybody. The problem with that is that we begin to meditate on politics. We begin to fill our mind with the words that are being said on our TVs or our screens or what, however we access the news. And even if you turn it off, what is your brain thinking about? What is going through your mind? Turmoil. You begin to, to meditate on politics, and not even turning off the TV changes that, does it? So how is it that we stand on the promises? How do we trust and obey during a time like this when there's so much chaos and so much sorrow? God's word gives us direction. And that's what I want to do. I want to meditate on Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16 with you this morning our culture says that more is better bigger is better buy more own more keep more our culture and society seems to have this obsession with adding to what we already have how many of you have had to move and you question why do i still have these boxes of stuff right and we, we add to this collection, and if someone tells you that you need Christ, our culture will usually nod their head and say, yeah, I'll put him right next to my Buddha, next to my karma, next to my luck, and I'll just add him to the shelf of things I have collected in my life. Church is just another activity among many others. Our calendars are filled with activities. Some of which, if we're honest, may produce greater excitement than our Sunday morning worship. How many have been watching sports and getting more excited about the football game, the basketball game than Sunday worship? So when someone says to you, you must obey God or be obedient to God, we all often nod very sincerely and we agree, I'll just add that to my list. I'll fit God in, pencil him in at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And I think that this is a tragedy, that we're adding God to an already busy schedule. And so we're going to see this morning that walking in obedience to to God is not about adding one more thing to your life. This is not about adding a Christmas parade to your already busy Christmas schedule. Or just behaving. I just have to behave better. It's about keeping your way pure, taking a path that is unusual. Or in a sentence, keeping your way pure is a whole person seeking, treasuring, learning, proclaiming, delighting, and committing to God's word. This psalm is so fascinating to me. I call it the pastor's psalm, but in reality, it's everyone's psalm. Uh, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It forms an acrostic with the Hebrew alphabet. The section that we're going to be studying is uh, is the Hebrew letter Bet, uh, sort of like our letter B. And it's a masterful work of literary art. It has repetition and uses varying words for law, word, commands. Essentially. God's communication to us, God's revelation to us. Now, we don't know who the author is, and I'm not going to speculate today. Uh, There's no subscript as to the reason for the writing. So we can understand this as an ode to God's word. Verse one is really telling, especially in the Christian standard. It says, how to be happy. How happy are those whose way is blameless. I think we in this culture would like to be happy. I think we would like to not be miserable as we watch the news. So today we're going to focus on verses 9 through 16, and I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes or statutes is what my mom always corrects me. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the word this morning, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us to slow down in a world that is constantly in motion, that we can stand on your promises and sit in your premises Father, give us wisdom as we approach this text. Lord, I'd like to lift up First Baptist Church of Sierra Vista. Father, I pray that the gospel will be proclaimed clearly. Lord, as they prepare for their uh, Christmas concert with the community chorus, I pray that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified through them in this, uh, in this city. Father, we pray for our country We pray for the political situation. Lord, we know that you are sovereign, that you reign, that you rule. And none of this is a surprise to you. Lord, help us to cast away fear and to trust in you. Father, I pray for the lives of the unborn that are going to be devastated through some of the the recent uh, choices that some states have made. Father, we pray for your judgment and your justice in this. Father, we are grateful that we can enter the house of the Lord and worship you with a spirit of thanksgiving, uh, that you are merciful to us, that you are gracious to us, and that you have sought fit to inspire your word that can be a comfort to us during this time. Lord, give us wisdom, guide us, be with us. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ and by his powerful spirit. God's people said, Amen. So as we're looking at this passage, verse 9 asks a question, doesn't it? How can a young man keep his way pure? The question, how do you keep your way pure, kind of comes from that. So how do you keep your way pure, young men and young women? Not so young men and not so young women. How do we keep our way pure? Well, it tells us by keeping your word. So we have the question and the answer right up front in verse 9. Many wish to be holy, to obey, and to walk in obedience, yet so often we fail and fall short, do we not? The truth of the matter is this, that Jesus' active and passive obedience is the only thing we can rest and trust in. We cannot trust in our own works to save us. There's no hope without the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. Our failures and sin are transferred to him, and his perfect obedience is placed on us. While the bondage of sin was broken for the Christian, we are still called to put to death that which remains. So we still struggle with sin in our life, and we have to do something with it. And this psalm isn't about how we are saved. So do not hear what I am not saying, or do hear what I am not saying. I don't know how you would do that. Just don't do what I don't think I'm doing. All right. What I'm saying is this is not about salvation. You cannot save yourself by more Bible reading, more praying, more holding on to obedience It's only through Christ. But what this is saying, that the process to make progress in your life to obedience is the process the Holy Spirit uses to make us more like Christ. It's called sanctification. It's how we become more like Christ. In some sense, we are able to cooperate by obeying and keeping the word. So let's not forget how Jesus connects to these psalms. Right, We do not cut Jesus out just because we're reading in the Old Testament. Jesus would have read these psalms. He would have sang these psalms. These would have been constantly on his mind as he has lived his life. He would have memorized them. And John reminds us that Jesus is the incarnate Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, God's revelation in human flesh is Jesus. We could say the embodied word and that element should be in the back of our mind as we study this passage. So as we study his written word here, we do not forget Christ and what he has done. So as you read this, verse nine says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Many of you may be thinking, well, I'm not a young man or I'm not a young man anymore. As some of you women would say, I was never a young man, but this doesn't apply to me. Well, literally here, it's a young man before marriage. Also, someone that's, that's inexperienced, right? Not having the experience of a long life of mistakes behind him. If you think about it, the young are especially prone to error. They just don't know what they don't know, right? We don't know what we don't know. And some of us older people also say, we don't know what we don't know. Early in life, we are prone to make many mistakes due to a lack of knowing better. As we get older, we make mistakes, not mistakes, mistakes due to a lack. Um, I mean, sorry, excuse me. As we get older, we must make mistakes even though we do know better. So when we're young, we make mistakes because we don't know better. When we're older, we make mistakes because we do know better. Yet here we are told that we can be pure. By keeping God's word. The word used for keeping is the second clause. And it's the same word used when God commands Adam to keep the garden. Isn't that interesting? The same Hebrew word for keep is used here as was applied to Adam in the garden. And then again is used when the Israelites are told to keep the law. So when Moses tells the Israelites to keep the law, He uses the same Hebrew word. And the festivals and the Sabbaths are all told to be kept. So, in the same way Adam was told to keep, which means to protect and to cultivate, so also are we told to keep the word. This lays the foundation about how do we keep the word. So, there are six elements to keeping God's word. That's a lot of points for one message. Six elements. Number one is verse 10. You must seek it. How do you keep God's word? Well, you must seek it. Verse 10. I have sought you with all my heart. It's a wholehearted pursuit of God through his commands. Now, when we think about the heart, we must recognize that this is the the thinking, the feeling, and the doing, or our inner person. The non-material aspect of ourselves, right? It's not just our emotions, right? The whole follow your heart thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about your emotions. We're talking about the inner man, the conscience, the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, the inner person, the non-material part. And we have to pursue or seek God with our whole heart. Remember the, the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is a whole person, pursuit of God through his word. And not just our thinking, but also our emotions are to be engaged, right? So as Christians, sometimes we, we lose it and we think, oh, I only need to think the right things, but maybe I don't have to feel the right things. Maybe I don't have to do the right things. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying a whole person must be committed to this. So how do we keep our way pure? With a wholehearted pursuit, seeking of God. Everything in us must be engaged. But at the same time, we have a little bit of a conundrum, don't we? We don't really like black, we don't really like gray areas. We like black and white. But look at the next part of that verse. Don't let me wander from your commands. What is, what is the psalmist saying here? He says, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. We have to recognize that God alone can keep us from wandering. Why is that? Because we're prone to wander. We are prone to wander. So how are you doing this? I think there are three specific aspects of our heart So an easy way to consider the heart is the cognitive, the affective, and the volitional. If you don't want to use those big old fancy words that I found somewhere in a dictionary, you can think of head, heart, hands. My head, my heart, my hands. So how do you wholeheartedly pursue the word? How do you wholeheartedly pursue God's word? So most of us in here have sought success in various fields. Uh, Our job our home or studies. We have some musicians in here who have worked hard to learn to play the piano. When you pursue academic success, how do you do that? Well, you make a plan. You set out your books. You set your alarm. You get your schedule on point. You find teachers that will instruct you in those things. In your job, you spend time considering how to be the best at what you do. Right? Is there a more efficient way that I can answer these phone calls? Is there a more efficient way that I can manage these books? Believer, you are called to seek God's word in the same way that you are to seek after worldly success, and maybe even more so. So let's break down the heart and let's start about the head. Consider how you feel your thinking with God and his word. How many of you have spent more time on the internet or the news channel than in your word this week? Don't be offended. I know that it's a, it's a high-level thing right now. What is filling your mind? The news. Whatever some rando person on the internet is saying, that's what's filling our minds. So consider how you feel your are thinking with God and his Word. Well, you study it. You look at the background of it. You listen carefully to your pastor and how he breaks the passage down. You set aside time to consider it. And guys, I, I hate to break it to you, the simplest thing is to read it. Are you reading the word on a regular basis? This is not like some strict rules that you must abide by to live a happy, healthy, wealthy life. No, this is how we seek with our whole heart is we fill our mind with what we are reading. We study it. But then with the heart, When we seek something with our whole heart, it means we are also affected emotionally by it. These are not just black and white words on a page that we try to fill our mind with super knowledge so that we can uh, win at Bible trivia and we can embarrass people on the Christmas party when they don't know when the wise men show up. No, this is not what we're doing. We want to be affected emotionally. The only way that I know to have this work is to pray over it. The only way that this affects my heart is if I pray over it. I ask the Lord to fan into flame my heart's delight in the word. I ask the Lord to help me cultivate a relationship with him through the living, breathing word. I like how Psalm 119 uh, verse 18 says this. It says, open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous Things from your instruction. I ask the Lord, give me emotional joy and delight in this. And in the hands. So we have the head, we have the heart, and then we have the hands. As we intellectually seek the word and we pray for an affected heart, we also choose to place ourselves in the most conducive location and time for our learning. We prefer it to other activities. Instead of waking up and checking our email, waking up and checking social media, we wake up and grab the word. Instead of sleeping in, we get up and open his word. I'm willing to lose sleep so that I can open this up in the morning. I would rather open this up and get some, a little less sleep than to live. If I have to, if I have to choose between breakfast and the word, Choose the word every single time. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you want to keep your way pure in a crazy time? I think things are going to get worse for Christians. I I, I truly believe that, especially in our country. And I think it's going to be, we're going to be surprised that as other Christians that are persecuting us because of our unloving stance, it's going to be less a persecution of how, great, you're standing for the word, but that's just a, a side thing. So you grab the word instead of sleeping in. So by seeking or gathering your studies, you must bring it into the storehouse. I like how Spurgeon says, if heavenly gold is not worth digging for, you are not likely to discover it. If heavenly gold is not worth digging for, you are not likely to discover it. If you are not spending any amount of time in this, besides reading your five chapters a, a day, you're just reading it and moving on. You're not digging deep to get that heavenly gold. So the second thing is that you must treasure it. You must treasure it. How do you? How does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word, by seeking it and then by treasuring it. Verses, verse 11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart. We are called as Christians, as believers to treasure this word. I like how the step translates this Hebrew word to cryptos, to secret, to conceal something, to hide it in your heart. Now, the Hebrew word indicates a more technical term of memorizing the commands of God. God's word is a treasure that must be treasured. I know that kind of sounds a little funny, but it's a treasure that must be treasured. We have a noun to a verb action going on. Treasure this word. I'm reminded in, this, in the scene of, of the Lord of the Rings where Gollum, this corrupted being, holds the powerful ring, and he begins to, to pet it, doesn't he? My precious, my precious. Because it's valuable to him. bunch of nerds. <laughs> Or or think about the man who spends his time polishing his vintage car. It's a prized possession. You know, we all treasure something. Every single one of us in here treasures something. Something fills our minds and affections. What do you spend your time thinking about? Spend, Spend a few minutes with me contemplating this. What do you spend your time thinking about when you don't have to think about anything else? Is it the word? Now, most of us are like, oh, that's a gut punch. And that's true. Because we have to fight. We have to seek it. It doesn't come naturally. No one drifts into holiness. So the reality is that we all treasure something. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first step is that we must confess and repent of our false treasures. Matthew 23, 25 through 26 says, First clean the inside, then the outside will be clean also. Would you like to be a lo- more loving person? You know how you're not going to become a more loving person? By watching more news. I'm just going to tell you right now. So we've got to repent of the false treasure and turn to the one true living god in his word i'm not i'm not condemning hobbies or having other interests but what i am saying is do they subserve the living god or do they become a ruling power over it what is more exciting to you fellowship with other believers study of the word or the newest netflix show that comes on The next thing is you must learn it. Verse 12 says that we must learn it. So not only do we seek it, not only do we treasure it, but we must learn it. Verse 12 says, Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. So as we praise God for his character that produces the purifying word, right, that's what the psalmist is doing. He is blessing God for this beautiful thing that he has gifted us, his word, we also must be receptive to who he is as the teacher. The common theme is that being taught by the Lord as we ingest the word, it is one thing to read the Bible and then even reason out what it says, but it's quite another thing entirely to know the word, to live it out. If I said I loved my wife, but I never came home, would that be True statements. Right? We say we love the word, but we don't dwell in it. But that's another story. So we must cu- cultivate a posture of learning. You know what cultivates a posture of learning? Humility. It's not a favorite word. Humility. This requires humility. I don't know if there's anything more frustrating than trying to teach a know it all. Do you? You got that new person at work and you're trying to teach them and they know everything. Sometimes your kids act like they know everything and you can't teach them because they know it already. And so they have to fail. And so we should realize that it's only through God and his mercy are we enabled to learn anything. It is a gift. We praise the Lord because it is only through him that we can learn and understand the spiritual things from his word. That's what we're we're thanking him for, that he can actually be the one that teaches us. Now, this should help us avoid the fatal error of knowledge puffing up, right? Knowledge puffs up. But if it is all a gift, if it's not, you've pulled yourself up by your bootstrap. You will be able to praise the Lord and you'll actually be able to learn something. And this should lead us to prayerful requesting that we get taught. We need to have a God-dependence. As we approach the word, we have to realize that our knowledge, our reason, our thoughts are not as powerful as we thought they were. But we must depend on the living God. Now, we can get into great trouble if we study scripture with a prideful attitude. Can we not? We can get into a lot of trouble if we approach the text with a prideful attitude. If we read a passage and think we know better than God. I don't know why God put that in there. We may distort the text. We may twist it or even outright deny it. Consider the serpent in the garden. Did God really say you have now put your reason above the word of the living God? And then he escalates. You certainly won't die. The next thing is we must proclaim it. Verse 13 points to the fact that we must proclaim the word. So how does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. How do we keep the word? By seeking it with our whole heart, by treasuring it in our heart, by learning. And now we have to proclaim it. Being taught and then teaching someone something often go hand in hand. You really begin to understand something when you are forced to proclaim it. But in like manner, you can't help but proclaim something when you are excited about it. The Hebrew word used here carries the sense of making something known. Let it be known what the word of God is teaching you. I love when God's word intersects with my daily life. When there's something that in my daily life that the the word that I had studied this morning directly impacts. Because I'm so excited to share that with the person that I'm talking to. It could be something that you're memorizing that immediately becomes applicable in a situation. Or in your Bible, you're reading a particular passage and it comforts you. And then when a friend shares their struggle, you can share your comforting passage with them. You have a living experience. Now, I think this verse is even broader than what, what we just talked about. Judgment here can also mean God's decision or God's authoritative rule. Look at verse 13. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. This is God's decisions, his will, his authoritative rule. We must proclaim God's God's word has authority. Just as in the beginning God spoke the word into existence, so also his word is authoritative. Do you want to keep your way pure? You must keep the authoritative word of the living God. Ask yourself, what does God's word say about this situation? When you're watching the news, and you're hearing something you don't want to hear, ask yourself, what does God's word say about the situation? What does it say about my heart that I am so affected by it? Finally, or not finally, but as we continue, you must delight in it. Verse 14, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. We rejoice in what we learn. We rejoice in what is delightful to us. Now, many of you know, I have a four-year-old girl. I have lots of boys and boys are typically different than girls. I don't know if you guys know this, but a four-year-old girl is so fun to watch because she delights in things. She delights in things that my boys don't delight in. When she sees a pretty dress, she exclaims, oh, that's so pretty. Right? And she has this high-pitched voice. She came running out the other day with a princess dress that she's owned for, I don't know, a couple of years. And she said, this is the most beautiful dress I have ever seen. You know? And she's just so thrilled with these things anything sparkly she sees some sparkly earrings on on another woman and she'll go oh i love those sparkly earrings they're so beautiful she delights so as we dig into the treasure chest of god's word we begin to delight in each and every treasure we pull out if you really want to be pure under the power of the spirit and because of christ then you must cultivate a delight in each and every word in this inspired book. What an amazing truth that God's word was written so that we might delight in it. You know, sin is is, is an interesting thing that that we do, but we don't do it out of duty, do we? No one wakes up in the morning and says, well, it's my duty to sin against my family today, right? No, we do it because we delight in it. And if we begin to delight in the word of the living God, we will not delight in the deeds of darkness. And so the more you delight in it, the more is going to change you. I can't think of a truth that buoys me up when I am in deep depression than seeking his word. I don't know of anything that changes my mood like studying Psalm 119 the more I begin to just pull out and suck on the delightfulness of this. If you are facing an onslaught of criticism, if your, your parents abandon you or treat you poorly, or your brother or your sister ignores you or forgets your birthday, or any number of things that you might go through, you can delight in the word because it is true. So take your time as you read these passages. Take your time. Polish each one in your mind. Begin to clean it off. Just like my girl will take things out of her bucket of toys and just clean them off and comb the the doll's hair and and put a fancy little dress on it and do all those things that a, a little girl does. We must take the word and we must stare at it. We must polish the word. If you were excavating a place, you would not toss every piece of pottery that you find behind you. Have you ever seen how intricate and detailed people are when they begin to to excavate an area, right? They take each little piece of pottery and they polish it off and then they put it in a little category spot. You brush off each piece and you place it in categories. And so as you study the word, do the same thing. One strategy that I use is to emphasize each word in the sentence. Look at verse 9 with me. This is what I do, and, and this is something that I have just found such joy in, and maybe you will as well. So I look at verse 9, and I, I say, how can a young, excuse me, I emphasize the first word, how can a young man keep his way pure? How? How? That, there's a way. There's a way to do this. How do we do this? Then I do the next word. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way This is a specific thing. This is not a generalized thing. How, how can I personally keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? We're think about inexperience and in youth. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Right, you see how I'm emphasizing each word in that sentence as I read through it. Uh, not only that now i have it memorized how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word so begin to brush off each word and this is not a one-time thing that you need to do this is a daily practice that your heart begins to pursue the living word as you study it if you have a facility in the languages pull up a concordance or a word study and begin to really appreciate it even more deeply. Now, if I could sum up this verse, I would say, slow down. If I could sum up verse 13, um, and in particular, 14, I would say, slow down. This is not a get-rich-quick method. This is not a, I'm going to watch a quick, I'm going to binge-watch Psalm 119, and then move on to the next thing. No, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to really begin to meditate. I'm going to begin to think on. I'm going to fill my mind purposefully with this word. If this was an art gallery or a museum, we would take our time enjoying the displays. You know, there's a reason why there are benches in an art gallery not moving sidewalks right if they were moving sidewalks in an art gallery it would defeat the purpose oh that's a cool one i've seen that one i'm going to move on through i'm moving on to the next thing but when you come into an art gallery you sit you observe you think on you meditate on what you are looking at and so finally you must commit to it so how do the young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word and how do we finally do that you must commit to it. Verses 15, 15, 15 through 16 is how we commit. So, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So, in the same way, all of this is useless without commitment. Everything we've talked about in this message is useless without commitment. You must commit. To meditate, to delight, and to remember. Look at verses 15 through 16 with me. I will meditate. There's a, there's a level of volitional will. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Commitment is an act of the will. A decision must be made. Will I do the hard work of delight or will I try to drift? Friends, you're not going to change your thinking after a week, after a month, after a year, after five years. But slowly but surely, you will begin to delight on the word. Meditation biblically involves a filling of your mind with God's word. You know, we chew on it mentally Uh, consider it, and then all the aspects of it. Sometimes I like to think of the opposites of this thing, right? What's the opposite of walking? Sitting. What's the opposite of movement? Stagnation, right? What's the opposite of standing on the premises, sitting on the premises, right? We have to think about not only what it is, but what it's not, This is not Eastern mysticism where we are trying to get some inner nirvana, some inner peace by emptying our mind. Essentially, it is to think about God's word. Now, memorization can fall into this category. Why do we memorize? Well, we memorize a piece so that on our beds, in our cars, we can think on God's word. As you are watching the news, are you reciting Psalm 2 in your brain? Kiss the Lord lest he be angry. Think about how all the nations will one day bow before King Jesus. I mean that's what fills my mind. That's what should fill our mind. And if that's on my mind, I don't care what this election is going to look like. I don't care who's going to be in office because you know who's on his throne. It's King Jesus. Delight, the psalmist says, that he will delight. Now, I find that this is an odd turn of phrase, don't you? It makes me think about my parents telling me that we will go somewhere and I will like it no matter what. Some people make the joke that they were uh, on drugs when they were kids, right? They were drugged to church. They were drugged to Awana. They were drugged to, they were on drugs, right? And, and the reality is, it's interesting. He says, I will delight." Think about that for a minute. Can you make yourself like something that you may not be interested in? The Hebrew word here is that of playing or enjoying something like a kid playing with their toys. The psalmist is saying that he will choose the word in order to enjoy it. It's for our good to be enjoyed. Do you ever read the Ten Commandments and say, I really enjoyed that or Leviticus. Now, if you follow the above elements, you will begin to enjoy every aspect of God's word. Why does thou shall not steal? Why is that so important? Can you imagine if no one obeyed that? All my stuff would be gone. All your stuff would be gone. Now, I'm so glad that the Lord enshrined that law. As new covenant members, we can enjoy, and even more so, because of the sacrifice of Christ. Consider Leviticus or Numbers, and as you read through all the requirements to approach a holy and perfect God, you will be brought to tears over Christ. No longer do I have to shed blood for my sins, because it is already. Man, I delight in the entire Bible. Remember this. We must commit to not forget. We are prone to forgetfulness. We are prone to wander. We are prone to distraction. How easy is it for us to forget the shed blood of Christ? The means of our remembrance is participation in what God has ordained. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of what Christ did. The Lord's Day gathering, when I sing worship songs and I look at my son, I want him to sing the same truths about God and feel them as I feel them as I sit there. And I want you to have the same hope in in God in times of turmoil and times of good and times of bad as we sing these songs. Baptism is a reminder of what Christ has done. These regular reminders are neglected to our peril. Daily Bible reading is a joyful reminder of our dependence on God. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a reminder of our dependence. It's interesting to me. um, Doug sent me a a funny thing from the Babylon Bee. And it was um, Republicans are are finally going to put their trust in God instead of in their election process or something like that. And it was kind of a silly joke. But the reality is, how often do we think that our vote is going to change the world? How often do we think our politician is going to change our country? The reality is, it's only God that changes the hearts, Now, do we not vote our conscience? Absolutely. We absolutely will vote our conscience. And we will stand up for what we believe is to be true. And we will vote that. But the reality is, God alone changes the heart. So, church, this is the question for you. If you've been sleeping this whole time, now's the time to wake up. We're about to get ready to go. I don't want you to be embarrassed when we all start singing. How do we keep our way pure? Pure. The answer is keeping our way pure is a wholehearted, a whole person, seeking, treasuring, learning, proclaiming, delighting, and committing to God's word. How can you do that this week? Will you commit, uh, commit, commit to meditate, delight, and remember the word? God's written word points to the incarnate word. Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning is that this portion of the psalm will be as encouraging to you as it has been to me. And I want us to thank the Lord for the gift that is his word. Will we do that this week? That's your challenge. How are you going to meditate on the word this week? Father, as we go from this place, Lord, help us to remember that we are covered by the shed blood of Christ, that there is remission of sins because of your dear son god as we approach this time of response through singing that we would respond to you with our whole heart that we would not be flash in the pan christians that, that grow up today and fall out tomorrow because we are so distracted by the things of this world but that we would have deep roots in your word how can we keep our way pure by keeping your word Father God, I thank you for your mercy to us, your grace upon us. Lord, be with us as we go from this place. Be with our country. And be with Turkey. I just heard that they uh, had a a big explosion there, and and many people were injured and many dead. And so, Father, we pray for the loss of life there. Lord, we ask these things in, in the beautiful name of Christ. Lord, we are so enraptured by who you are. And we thank you for this. And we ask these things again. And all God's people said, amen.